work for a cause, not for applause, live life to express, not to impress, and don't strive to make your presence noticed, just make your absence felt. Hello, I'm Andrew May, and this is the NAB Business Fit Podcast, where we chat with experts in a range of fields, delving into their world to find out what fuels them and to learn lessons that can be applied to running a small business, especially in these very challenging times. Joining me again for another episode is Anna Marinkovic. Anna is the Executive General Manager of NAB Small Business Bank. And Anna, you're excited about all of these interviews, but I know you're especially excited about our guest today. Yes, I certainly am. She's amazing, isn't she? So just to go through and give people a little bit of a background about our guest today, she is extraordinary in her broad range of experience, having worked in the private sector, the public sector and the charity sector at state, national and international level. I get tired just looking at some of the bullet points on her background. She was the founding chief executive of the the Prince's Trust Australia, representing His Royal Highness, the Prince of Wales, charitable endeavours in Australia. She's the chief executive of the committee for Melbourne. We'll hear about that later, especially specific right now because Anna and Janine are talking, joining me from Melbourne. And there are so many more awards, we don't have time to name them all. So we'll go with Member of the Order of Australia, current Chair of the Melbourne Trust Prize, Housing First and of Phoenix Australia. Janine Kirk, welcome to the podcast. Thank you very much, Andrew. Really looking forward to having a chat. I'm tired. I need some water, Thomas. After doing that introduction, it is it is a a very big list of achievements. But before we get specific on small business and some of the questions Anna has, I like asking all of our guests this to start with, but how are you starting your day right now? And timestamp, we're in the middle of uh, stage four. You're in the middle of stage four restrictions, COVID restrictions in Melbourne. So how are you getting going every day? Well, I have to say this morning, I got going fairly early because I had an eight o'clock board meeting that I had to attend, obviously on Zoom. Um, or on team, should I say. And uh, so that went for about two and a half hours. So that was my start to a Monday morning this morning. But more generally, Andrew, what uh, my husband and I try to do is uh, we have a routine, an exercise routine. Uh, When the first lockdown happened, we went out and bought some very thick yoga mats because I find the thin ones with my bones (laughs) were a little bit uh, hard. So we went out and bought lovely big thick uh, yoga mats and um, we spend about half an hour ex- exercising every morning. So it's uh, with the resistance bands, and then we do the dreaded plank uh, to finish. Oh, you're not planking, are you? Planking, not plonking, planking. Well, occasionally I plonk when I collapse, but, you know, planking. And how, what are you up to? What timeline are you and your husband doing on the plank? Well, I, I mentioned to you, I think, that um, I went on to YouTube and had a look at uh, how you do the plank properly, although, you know, I'd been to the gym when we could go to the gym, so I had an idea. And uh, and the instructor suggested you should just do about two minutes a day. So try it, you know, you don't have to go up to 10 minutes or whatever, as long as you sort of do it every day. So we find about two minutes is every day. It's a, it's a bit of a challenge to get there because, you know, your body is often tired or it's, you know, feeling a bit different so uh, I get the wobbles, you know, at about two minutes. So uh, that's about right for me. Two minutes is good. And, and do you think that is one of the secrets to having the energy you do? Because you have so many different roles. You've got you know, a very esteemed career. Have you always focused on the physical energy to give you an advantage? Look, I always have uh, exercised. Uh, I won't confess I've exercised every day, but I certainly have tried to. Um, I used to run. I don't do that anymore. Um, I actually had a hip replacement earlier in the year. So for me, it was therapy also getting back. So I walk. Uh, So apart from doing our exercises together, um, I go for, you know, a walk every day or every second day as well, uh, which is lovely just to get out in the fresh air, I have to say. And now we're actually getting some sunshine. It just lifts your spirit so much. And I'm very lucky. I live near quite a few parks um, and and we've got some really good walking tracks uh, in Melbourne. So the ability to get out and, and in a sense, not only experience the fresh air and the sunshine, but experience nature as well. I find it very soothing and uplifting. And before we started our live recording today, you told me you tried another little experiment this morning. Maybe it didn't go uh, as warm as you thought it would be. <laughs> no, I... Uh, Thank you very much for sending a copy of your book. I received that on Saturday. So I was going through it and 
And it's it's I really recommend it to anyone because it really is content rich. And I think that's often missing in some of these uh, sort of get fit books. So, but one thing I did read, Andrew, is that you suggested you should have a cold shower in the morning. So started off with a hot shower and then thought, I'm going to try this. You know, I read it yesterday. I'm going to try it today. I think you suggest you should do it for a minute. I lasted, I think, about two or three minutes. Uh, and, and my husband had to rush into the bathroom because he heard the screams coming from the bathroom. <laughs> but anyway, I, you know, I don't want anyone to picture that in their minds. Um, but anyway, I, I really am going to take this on as a bit of a challenge and uh, maybe we'll touch base. Uh, might, might take me four or five months to get to the, the full minute in a cold shower, but I'm certainly going to try it. I'll, I'll definitely make a note to circle back, and it is one of the things. We, we didn't have this on our running order today, Anna, to talk to Janine Kirk about taking showers. No, but it's interesting. Put it out of your mind. <laughs> yeah, but uh, the, the people we're talking to, Janine, a whole range of people from a whole range of fields, one of the commonalities we're seeing, Anna, is that self-care. So to operate at a high level, whether it's in sport, in business, in entertainment, in the military, it is working out self-care. So to, you know, put your oxygen mask on first and to, to look after you so you can then look after others. And that's what you do a lot in your waking hours, looking after others. But I want to go back again, just a little bit. As a 15-year-old at school, it's normally when we have that conversation with our career advisor and they sit down and say, young Janine, what would you like to be when you grow up? So what did you say when you were asked that question? Andrew, I have to confess, when I went to school, there was no such thing as career advisors. <laughs> um, you know, but, but I must say that the school really did um, take the next step in the sense that they assumed that we would go to university, which was quite unusual in those days, I think. And so, you know, we were handed out forms to apply for, for uni university positions. It wasn't when I was 15, of course. It was when I was, you know, in my last year of school. And I thought that for, you know, an all-girls school um, way back <laughs> in, uh, you know, before the 70s, um, that, that that was a pretty great thing for the school to do. So, but, uh, but I do remember when I had uh, gone, started work, that I was also involved in an organisation called Women in Management, uh, which was unusual because that, there weren't that many <laughs> women in management in those days. But we had somebody in to do a workshop, and the workshop was that they gave you a blank piece of paper and said, now, we want you to write down where you would like your career to be in 10 years. And I sat there, and I sat there, and I saw everybody else scribbling. And when the person who was conducting the workshop came back to look at what I'd written, I still had a blank piece of paper. And they said, Janine, why haven't you written anything down? And I said, because there are so many opportunities I don't know what's out there. I need to go out and explore what's out there. How could I possibly say what I'd be doing in 10 years, particularly when you do something like a, a double uh, major in economics? <laughs> uh, if you're a doctor, you know, potentially you're going to be a doctor or a dentist, whatever. But I had a, you know, kind of a broader degree in that sense. Um, so it was it was interesting, I, and that's probably reflected in the career that I've had. I think you I think that conversation came rather true. If you, if you have a you know blank sheet of paper rather than pinpointing one thing, you can have a massive. I think there's a buzz phrase now. It's called a portfolio career, but I don't want to do your career disservice by calling it a portfolio. But that that mindset you had at a young age about the, the world is out there to be explored. I, I love that you've really challenged because some of those mindsets back then they were so draconian weren't they around you know women have my, my son said to me recently he's nine dad do you realize when nans my grandmother was a girl that there weren't many job options for her and as a nine-year-old now in a much more you know open world which it needs to be he said isn't that terrible so like it's it's come such a long long way thank goodness where did that mindset come from your inquisitive mindset your mindset about serving and looking after other people your mindset that, that looks at achieving so much and giving so much back? Andrew, I think the foundation certainly came from my parents. Um, and I think not only did they have a strong sense of social justice, uh, my father uh, was a man of great integrity, um, very gentle, very kind. Uh, my mother was a, a, a strong woman, a resilient woman, but you know, with a strong sense of, of social justice. 
But when you actually see that in action, you know, it, it is believing by seeing. A lot of people say they have those characteristics, but when push comes to shove, unfortunately, it's revealed they don't. But my parents were, were very strong around that, that you, you know, you you were to show leadership, but there was always accountability. So, you know, if you did something wrong, you fessed up and you took whatever punishment there was. Um, and it actually makes you resilient. It makes you feel that you're in control of your life because you are willing to take a leadership role, but you're also willing to accept that accountability. Uh, and at the end of the day, you have to have a, a moral compass that puts you in the right direction to actually say, yes, I have done the wrong thing. I need to either fix the problem or I need to step aside to allow somebody else to fix it. So I think really um, it was the, the the moral base that was established by my, my parents. Mm. So interesting looking at that family of origin with people, isn't it? How we grow up and how that does shape our lives. You're a very passionate woman. You're now passionate about doing two-minute planks and taking cold showers and adding to the repertoire of roles you have in your day-to-day -day -day portfolio. But what, what do you do to switch off? That's one of the things that Anna and I were saying in preparation for this interview. I was just so intrigued. How do you, you know, keep the energy level up? But balancing that, what do you do to switch off or do you? Look, I have to say sometimes the things that happen to you mean that you are out of balance. It's as simple as that. And I think to hold any senior role, um, particularly, say, a chief executive or a small charity or whatever, you have to live it every day. I mean, it, you know, it, it, it demands your attention. And I think the thing that I realised was that um, you think you're coping and you have that the strong sense of you know obligation and responsibility, but you're absolutely right. If then that leads to you not performing at your best, it doesn't help anyone. So I think if you look at the view behind me on my Zoom screen, um, we bought a little property, um, oh, 30 over 30 years ago. Uh, it's not a weekend place. It's six hours away from Melbourne. Although I have to confess, when we were younger, we used to drive up for the weekend. God knows how we managed to do that, but we did. Um, and I think that's been my, my sense because I had a strong need to be connected to nature. I mean, when we were kids growing up, um, we used to go down to Wilson's Promontory every May school holidays. And as kids, we used to just disappear for the whole day. I mean, I don't know. I don't think parents would allow that today. But we'd go fishing, we'd go hiking, we'd, and I, I've always had that need to be connected to nature. So for me, the way I cope is to look at that view. Mm. And for people who are listening to this on the podcast, the audio, if you can't see, um, the vision is beautiful, rolling green hills, lots of trees, uh, ridge of mountains in the background, some beautiful blue sky. They're the snowy mountains with actually snow on them. And our place is about 500 feet above the valley. So we look down on the Murray River and then across to Mount Kosciuszko. So, but as you say, these beautiful, broad, rolling hills and plains and, and up to the mountains. Mm. So um, it's interesting. I, I find that um, if I was in the mountains, I, I think I'd feel a bit claustrophobic. But where we are, where we've got that breadth of view, and it's basically, you know, 270 degrees around us because, of course, going back down the river and the valleys behind us as well. So that sense of the wonder of nature and uh, and as I said to you, that area was devastated by the fires. The northeastern part of Victoria was de de devastated by the fires and, um, and this is the recovery. And to me, that gives me a sense of optimism that nature is extraordinary how it does recover and... Uh, and hopefully we will out of this pandemic as well. Mm. Well, biophilia is the Latin word for that that feeling of uh, bliss and joy you get from being in nature. So I can definitely see a bit of biophilia coming even from your background. I think, Anna, talking about bushfires and coming back and resilience, I think it's a perfect time to start talking about some of the challenges our small business operators are facing as well. Thank you, Andrew. And we know, Janine, that there are significant um, challenges, particularly in the small business sector with uh, bushfires, floods, now COVID, 
You're currently um, the chair of Phoenix Australia, an organisation that has uh, very specific expertise in trauma-related mental health and well-being. We know that um, you, a, a lot of your um, clients and customers and those that are looking for um, similar services are small business owners or employed by small businesses. Really interested in understanding your experience of COVID uh, in terms of impact on small business and also how have you adapted some of these programs um, to deal with these unprecedented circumstances? Yeah. Anna, it's interesting that 75% of all Australians will, will have a, experience a traumatic event in a year. Now, trauma... You know, there's a scale and it depends on how it impacts on people. But, you know, you might be losing a loved one, which obviously has been happening uh, during the COVID situation. Uh, it might be a marriage breakup. Uh, it might be a, an ill child. You know, it might be seeing uh, a traumatic event like a car accident. I mean, there's a whole range of things. And and so the, people will get an emotional upset from that. And it could be increasing anxiety, it could be sleep, it could be appetite disturbance. And some will have even deeper reactions. So it might be fear, sadness, guilt, anger. Uh, and I know a number of people are going through that at the moment. Most will get over it using their own networks, but there are some who won't. And, of course, when we can't actually reach out to our own networks at the moment, some of those who might have been able to cope you know, are falling down the scale to those that can't cope. So we're having this fairly major increase in those suffering from trauma or post-traumatic mental health. Uh, and as you mentioned, we had drought, we had floods, we had bushfires, we had now we, we've got a pandemic. And so we haven't even been able to come up from the first wave that hit us for air until the second wave hits us and the third wave. It's happened in a very short space of time. So there certainly is very increased levels of mental health issues out in the general community, but of course for small business as well, and, and, and particularly small business. You know, I, I have such respect for small business owners. You know, they're, they're passionate, they back themselves, they're emotionally engaged, they're taking a risk. I mean, these are the risk takers that we should celebrate. And when you know that I think it's over 85% of employment in the whole of Australia is generated by small to medium-sized businesses, that is a lot of people out there. Yes, it might just be the corner, corner store or the butcher, the baker, but also there are engineering firms, there are people, of course, in the events industry, restaurants. All these people are people that are out there generating wealth for Australia. They're employing people. Um, and so I think they absolutely should be celebrated. But of course, when you have something traumatic like this happening, as we have with the pandemic, the impact on them is disproportionately impacted. So I, I, I love the saying that we're all in the same storm, but not the same boat. And it's really the private sector that is paying the price at the moment, not the public sector. So, uh, and when you think that it's the private sector that generate the taxes to pay for the public sector, it kind of seems a bit around the wrong way, doesn't it? But I think for, for small business owners who put their life passion and quite frankly, their financial futures on the line, can you imagine all those who own their own business and we're seeing the sale of their business as their superannuation? as their retirement fund. Now, for many of them, they'll never be able to sell their business because it's closed. So it's not only those who are operating businesses now who have an opportunity to you know, build up that investment for the future. There are many who will never be able to. You know, They've lost that window of opportunity and that's where I think it's very difficult. And when we're talking about very difficult, I mean, the people in Victoria, in particular in Melbourne, um, one could be said are disproportionately impacted. Um, you were the chief executive for the Committee um, of Melbourne uh, organisation that represented some 150 different enterprises, uh, business enterprises, academic, arts, community, 
um, which have really been hibernating for months upon months. What do you think will be absolutely required going forward to, again, um, think of Melbourne as a globally leading city from where we are today? Mm. I was the CEO uh, of the Committee for Melbourne uh, for 12 years from 1995. So it goes back a bit of a way, Anna. But it's interesting because that was at the time when Melbourne, you know, a very similar thing was happening in a sense. Uh, Our manufacturing was in decline. Um, A lot of our head offices were moving to other capital cities. Um, A lot of people were leaving Melbourne uh, and moving elsewhere. So we had a real issue as a city that we were in decline. Uh, the Committee for Melbourne, the, the, the best thing about it in a sense is it is all about what can we do for the city. And in doing that, you lift everybody's boats. So it is about collaboration. Absolutely. You know, good people who get together, who come up with ideas, with innovation, and then work collectively to actually achieve outcomes. And when you look at it, in that 20 years, we've built up an amazing events industry. We've built up an amazing hospitality industry. Um, We've built up uh, an outstanding biotechnology base. We're now the third or the fourth largest biotechnology cluster in the world. Um, We've built up an amazing education base. But that all took 20 years to kind of recover And so I'm generally an optimist, and I am optimistic that we will recover from this and will bounce back fairly quickly. But it's interesting that from starting those ideas and working government, working with business, working with the the not-for-profit sector, working with the academic sector, when we all bring our collective wisdom and knowledge, we can do remarkable things. I'm just hoping we're going to see that collaboration happen again. And I know there are a lot of people who, you know, who are working towards that end. And it is in everyone's interest for Melbourne that has endured the longest lockdown of any city in the world to come out of this strong, united and collaborative in approach and to tap into that creativity and other skills that you were talking about, Janine. Yes. And look, I'm hoping it's not about getting back to uh, normal. It's about getting back to a better normal. And I think, you know, when you see how sometimes when you're, uh, you're successful, you can get a bit complacent about things. Now we've seen some of our major events either disappear to other cities or not being held, and we just took those for granted. And I hope this brings back a degree of reflection that those things are hard won and we have to actually win them back and we have to do them even better, uh, which means we have to you know, reduce a lot of the red tape and regulation and not not to disadvantage anyone, but just we have to realise that we have to make those decision-making processes far easier for us to be able to get through things and get approvals done and get get cracking. Janine, one of the things that uh, always leaves an impression on me when I talk to you is your level of insight knowledge and understanding of the small business sector. And I have to ask you, I don't think I've actually ever asked you this before, but have you actually ever owned your own small business and had first-hand experience with it, given your, I suppose, empathy for the sector and ability to contribute? My family came from sort of small business, if you like. Um, we had a, a building company um, and also we had a manufacturing or engineering company that manufactured um insulators for the electricity industry, for power stations. And I remember as a child going down to to the factory and um, they used to make a lot of the insulators in clay. So they literally had a wheel spinning and building up the insulators. And as a child, I just thought this was wonderful. And so I'd sit there and get my bit of clay. And I hate to say I used to make dreadful Christmas presents to my parents, like when everybody did smoke in those days, they used to make ashtrays, you know, the most ugly ugliest mm-hmm. ashtrays you'd ever see, and then put them <laughs> onto um, the uh, the slabs that went through this, you know, million-dollar kiln with these big insulators. There'd be my little kind of clay ashtray sitting amongst the lot uh, and watching it come out the other side. Um, and so I have a real understanding, and I knew how hard my father worked. 
Um, and uh, I remember when he went for an overseas trip, he went, he was away for three months because in those days, you know, catching flights wasn't just flying direct from one place to the other. Mm. But uh, because he had to commission this new kiln for, for the factory, he's away for three months. Um, so, again, I've always seen the passion, the dedication from that. In terms of how I owned a small business, look, I haven't, but I've started a lot of organisations. So I started what's called the Bio Melbourne Network, and that was an organisation that was set up in 2001. And um, when you think now, half of Australia's biotech industry belongs to the network, and we now lead uh, Australia's biotechnology research and development sector. Um, and it's interesting, it's, it's estimated that there's now 151 life science companies actually headquartered in Victoria, employing 10,000 people and with sales of nearly $8 billion. Extraordinary. And that's just that just started with an idea, mind you, 20 years ago, and now it has built up over that period of time. So, and there are other things I've set up. You know, I set up a leadership program called the Future Focus Group, trying to teach young leaders um, across the uh, Committee for Melbourne membership about the importance of civic duty. So during the two-year program, uh, leadership program, they had to come up with ideas for the benefit of Melbourne and its community. So there was that one, and that's still going after 20-odd years. Um, and then one of the things I did with the Princess Trust Australia, which is a little you know, more specifically relevant, is I established a program called the Enterprise for Veterans Program. And that was for Australian defence personnel who were transitioning from full-time military service into civilian life to teach them the school skills about how to set up their own business. Because my feeling is that, and I was told by a number of them, that the one thing they missed when they left um, the Defence Force was they had a gap in their mission and purpose. You know, what was their mission and purpose going to be? And we all know that to run your own business, you have to have a lot of mission and purpose if you're going to be successful. Yes, enormous amount of mission and purpose and passion for what That's you're doing. That's right. And so, um, you know, about 100 um, defence personnel and their partners have, have gone through that program and it's still, it's still going and going very well. So I think um, vicariously I've been in, you know, surrounding small business a variety of ways, um, but indeed haven't set up my own small business as such. But also, I suppose, have um, understood the adversity and challenge um, on that journey. And I know that it's something that um, Andrew would love to um, ask you about as well. Hi, we hope you've been enjoying this podcast so far. Don't forget that we have plenty more podcasts and content just like this on NAB Business Fit. Go to www.nab.com.au forward slash business fit for more content to support your physical and psychological well-being and to help you take care of business. Yeah, well, apart from the adversity of seeing the AFL Grand Final being played in Brisbane, not in the MCG, did you ever think we'd see that? Terrible. I, I, I'm not over that myself. There's nothing like being at the MCG to see a full house. But on a personal note, like Janine, we are talking a lot about small businesses and challenges people have, have had to overcome. What's one of the biggest challenges in your life, whether it's business, personal, that has set you back? But how did you get over that? And what did you learn from that? Andrew, as you can explain, Expect over a long career, there's been probably many of those occasions. Fortunately, they've all been offset by you know fantastic opportunities and occasions as well. Um, I think it's when you put your heart and soul into a project or getting an idea off the ground, and you work incredibly hard at it. Um, for example, there was a program that that I established called Melbourne Cares. And it was to bring major corporates together um, to, for a volunteering program. And um, I found out that at that time, Melbourne really didn't care. <laughs> it, it, I don't, did it, that get through marketing? Melbourne didn't care? <laughs> yeah, no, no, no. Well, Melbourne probably did. But it's, it's very hard for large corporates to bring together their corporate social responsibility so it's a collective because they all feel it's associated with their brand. 
For example, I do believe that if enough people, enough corporates got together, we would solve homelessness. I mean, they've got great minds in the city. Uh, we've got great opportunity to do it. But for some reason, it's sometimes difficult, not always, but sometimes difficult to get that collective approach because people often are engaged for different reasons. But probably that was the one that that uh, got away that uh, that probably I was I was saddened about. Did it knock you around for long? I just can't imagine. Like, does Janine Kirk have a bad day, week, month, or you are always upbeat? Do you have down days? I must admit, I'm 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 an optimist. I'm absolutely an optimist. In fact, I'm a member of the Centre of Optimism that's run by Victor Purton. So you'd expect me to be an optimist. You'd have to be optimist with Victor Purton. He is yeah, he's the most optimistic person that I've ever come across. And and he's kind of spent his entire life in diplomacy and politics, which is a bit unusual to be <laughs> an optimist <laughs> after such a, you know, career in that space. Maybe that's why, Anna. Maybe <laughs> that's his calling. We need to get actually Victor Purton for a podcast yeah. as well, Andrew. <laughs> Absolutely. I'll send him an invite after this. <laughs> Absolutely. But, you know, I, I think because I'm, I am basically an optimist, but, you know, even optimists have down days. I think last Saturday was a down day for me, and I, I, I really surprised, surprised myself that I was. So I have to say I um, sat on the couch in front of the fire because it was, you know, wet and cold outside. I, I binge-watched Netflix, which I don't normally do. I did. So uh, what did you watch? What uh, did you binge um, on? Well, there was Beyond Death, which is um, a, a, a very, oh, no, sorry, After Death, get it right, um, which is a very interesting story of a, a person grieving after their wife died. Oh, David Brent, Afterlife? Vicky, uh, Ricky Gervais. Ricky, oh, sorry, David Brent is his character in yes, The Office. Yes, yes. yes. yes sorry. Ricky yes, Gervais, yes, yeah, Afterlife. Yes. I loved it. Dark, isn't it? Dark. Well, it's sort of dark, but it, it's, you know, humorous mm. and it's and it's very... It gently peel, gently peels back, you know, again, as we were talking about, the issue of loneliness. Mm. When a, a partner and that you know, that you, that's all you have in your life and they, they die and how you cope. And, and that circle he gets mixed up in as well and the beautiful conversation he has with the lady on the bench who's lost oh, her on husband. The bench. Yeah, exactly. just overlooking the, the park. It's beautiful. Oh, yeah, all the graves of the, their two respective partners. So I, I just thought that's was fantastic. So, um, did you watch I the first that. and second series, or just the first? No, both. Both. That that's a binge. binge. That's a I good binge. binge. Yeah. Well, it was almost after each episode, you you it drove you know drove you to look at the next one because you wanted to know how how it would work out. And I did have a glass of wine, probably a little bit earlier than I would normally do. Um, and I I just felt you know just out of sorts. But I bounced back the next day. It was fine. I think you need to allow yourself to realise that you can't always have every day is not an up day. Well, it's part of the human condition, right? We have ups and downs and um, we just deal with it. But, yeah, well, it, it's never too early. You just set your clock for somewhere in Europe, right? Yeah. <laughs> I always say there's somewhere in the world. But yeah. Yeah. Now, the, the themes that bubble through, there's lots of themes that bubble through talking to you and also reading about you, but purpose and you know, being on mission are huge ones. Um, do you have a clearly articulated purpose? So do you have that as a, a central piece that drives you or is it just something that sort of pushed you along in, in, in direction by default? I have a visceral kind of reaction to the ideas. I love creativity and innovation. I mean, they're overused words, I know, creativity and innovation. But I, but I love that and I love people who come up with ideas and take a risk. And, and I love backing those sort of people as much as I possibly can. But it's got to appeal to me too. You know, it's got to have that emotional appeal. And I have to say I probably get that emotional feel. It's like when you walk into a house, you know, you're looking for a house and you walk into a house and you get a sense that this is your home. You know, you just you get that feeling. Um, and then I worry about the, you know, the attaching the brain to it and and, and ensuring that it's actually going to fly. But um, but I think that's what gets me excited. Um, and I've always believed to be in a love a job you love, you have to connect your heart and your head. If one of those is missing, you know, it, it's it's not going to be long lasting. And so um, 
in all the areas I've taken on, I've either backed people, and it's often, you know, not the idea per se. It's if I have a belief in people, I trust the people to deliver. Uh, they're the people I'll I'll back um, because I do that every day in my job. I back myself. Mm. Creativity and innovation, two buzzwords you don't like. Any other words you think that well, are overused or abused? I just think people use them so often with no basis as to why they're using them. Uh, when something is innovative and creative, it is something new and different or it's making something better, you know, better mousetrap or whatever it is. Um, just saying, yes. Yeah, so, uh, and it's, look, it's the same as the word pivot that's being used now. Uh, well, we, we find people now, <laughs> bing, it's a dollar. <laughs> and look, it's absolutely right. Organisations are pivoting. I, I know that. But after a while, it just kind of becomes a mundane <laughs> when you use it so often. But I can't think of a better word, so maybe we just have to keep using it. What? I think there was another one, Janine, uh, when we did an interview for um, Performance by Design together, you also were not a ter- terrible fan of uh, resilience. Yes. And, and look, again, <laughs> as I said to you, I, you know, I could start a business. They, you know, I said to you, I think if I could bottle it, we'd make a fortune. Yes. Because resilience isn't that special thing in a way it's something that it's hard won exactly um and it's it's you know as we get older you know one would hope we get more resilience because we've learned and we've experienced things and we've coped with them and we kind of move to the next level and that sort of thing so i think that um and i know they're teaching resilience in schools and i think you can you can teach coping mechanisms but i don't see how you teach resilience until you've actually experienced something. Mm. One of the things when you are very passionate and very principled and very purpose-driven, that sounds like a, an alliteration of P's, <laughs> <laughs> you you know what you stand for, but you know what you won't put up with as well. And, and going back to that interview that Arda just mentioned, I watched that with you too and with Paul Roos, and you had some very passionate views and firm views on leaders who don't listen. I'd love to open up your thoughts on that because uh, it really resonated with me hearing that. Yes, look, I think they always say you've got two ears and one mouth, use them in that uh, that proportion. I think it's very easy for people to misunderstand the qualities of leadership. And, um, you know, to me, leaders are not the ones who are out leading the charge per se, they're often the people who, of course, have to stand up and be accountable, but they're the people who also listen and and test their ideas. Uh, so they don't go in with a fixed idea. They might have a view, but they don't go in with a fixed idea, and then they test that view uh, with others. Um, and it's interesting. There's a quote that I that I use because I think it's that's important. And it's work for a cause, not for applause. Live life to express, not to impress. And don't strive to make your presence noticed, just make your absence felt. And it's about, we all have egos. So I'm not saying, you know, you need to be egoless. We all have egos and we want to do, I, I think the majority of people want to do a good job. I don't think people go in to say, oh, I'm going to do a bad job today. So we all have egos, but it's about, and I think, Anna, you mentioned this, and and uh, and it's about having the humility to be able to say, you know, I may not be the smartest person in the room. I don't need to be as long as I actually know the right questions to ask. And I think it's knowing those questions and also knowing when to follow up when the answers are given. It's kind of like an audit, isn't it? You, you know, an auditor will you know, hear the figures, and you go, oh, right, they're the figures. They look okay, but then it's okay. Well, what? How did you get to those figures? You're starting so, to sound like a former partner at Ernst and Young now. <laughs> <laughs> you sound like a former partner. <laughs> <laughs> but, but it is about it is about knowing the questions to ask, mm. but it's also leadership. Build, you know, you need to build other people. You need to build their confidence 
Because unless you have the ability to make decisions throughout an organisation, I mean, proportionate to the role you have, of course, um, you just, you have a rudderless ship. You have people just ticking the boxes. And so compliance is more than just ticking the boxes. Compliance is an attitude. And compliance is about quality. Um, and it's more than just ticking the boxes. There are so many people in big business who would love hearing that when compliance was outsourced. And now they're just saying compliance is part of everyone's job, right? It's not just a department and a couple of people looking yeah. at risk and governance yeah. and compliance. And it's, it's, it's an attitude. Absolutely, yeah. Hey, and and uh, that quote, is that your quote or where does Anonymous. that quote come from? Anonymous. Anonymous. Well, maybe I could claim it. No, I, I think it needs an author. Every <laughs> quote needs an author. Well, when I got it, it said anonymous down the bottom of it, so I have no no idea. But uh, so, who who have been big influences on you as far as leadership? Are there certain people, or courses you've done, places where you've worked, books, anonymous quotes? <laughs> well, I have to say, my, my my parents have been an inspiration, and it's interesting how you view parents depending on what age you are. You know, my, my father was a very gentle, generous and kind man. And often I thought that he didn't stand up to people. And then I realised he lived a life of forgiveness. And that was more strength than ever, than, than responding, you know, by, by hurting people in responding. And I didn't realise that until quite later in life. And I saw it as a strength, not a weakness. So it's, it's interesting, our perceptions as we live life, and that's the beauty about getting older, surely, there has to be some benefits, and that is about we have, we have a different perspective on life as we, as we get older. Um, and so I think that that's, that's really important. Mm. Now, this definitely wasn't the running sheep. I'm going to ask it because we're talking about living longer and more prosperous and healthy lives. Uh, I told my son recently I want to live to 130. And he looked up at me and said, Dad, I love your enthusiasm. But I think, <laughs> I said, mate, it's in your best interest that I do. But a lot of us are moving beyond 100. And you've been involved in a lot of you know, biotech companies and other, and other organizations. Regenerative where do, medicine. Yeah. Where do you see this going to? Like, what, what, do you, what age do you see us getting to in the future? And have you got an age that you're, you're thinking would be a good achievement as well? Look, I haven't because I don't think it's about length of life. I think it's about quality of life. And so they don't talk about, they talk now talk about um, not lifespan, but health span. Health span, yeah. And I think as long as you have your health, I think, you know, age is kind of immaterial. Um, so I don't have a particular age. Uh, as long as I'm healthy and I'm working on being healthy, then that's the important thing because I want quality of life. You know, I want to be able to sit up on that ridge and enjoy that view and I want to be able to, you know, I fly fish, so I want to go fly fishing. Um, I think you'd be interested, Andrew, to know that I'm actually teaching myself the guitar during this lockdown. Um, and so uh, my husband and I played our first duet the other day. Uh, oh, what did you play? Well, Was it, uh, let me... No, look, I've gone retro. So, um, so I was doing Beatles. <laughs> Um, but, you know, it was my pathetic strumming and he, he's a classically trained pianist, so he was doing the twills. But it was, and you know, a few times I kind of missed where I was, but it was so much fun, um, you know. So I think it's about enjoyment of life too. One thing I've found over the, the years is that people laugh less. Um, and I mm. think it's been a long time since I've had a really good belly laugh. You know, when tears are streaming down your face and... Um, you know, it's. Uh, I just don't see that there's as much enjoyment as you know I used to experience. Now, maybe it's me. Maybe things are getting more serious, and I'm just missing out on somebody else who's having all the fun. But I think I think life is weighing a bit heavy on us. Well, to timestamp this with stage four COVID restrictions, it is heavy. Like I'm in Sydney and have a lot of friends and colleagues and family in Melbourne. It is tough. So we just hope that it does lift very soon and you can go to those beautiful idyllic scenes behind you, not through a Zoom or Google backdrop, but through actual real life and get out into nature. I want to pick up on that. I'm going to challenge you. Um, 
I think you're fun. So I can't imagine. Bring it on. I can't imagine you not laughing. And you've got a, a lovely playfulness. And I imagine you've learned over your career uh, to get that balance between being serious and you know, looking at rigor. And a lot of the organizations you've been involved with require a lot of focus, a lot of concentration, a lot of detail. But I'm sure you have some playfulness and fun to, to help you counterbalance on the side. Well, it's funny. I. Um... I was just talking to a colleague today about, you know, board meetings and things. And I said, look, you know, they're serious, but they're human beings sitting around the table. Um, you know, they're, they're not at this stage artificial intelligence. Um, they are real people. And so I think, you know, you need to be empathetic, but you also need to lighten it up a bit. I mean, there's nothing worse than people fearing coming to a meeting as opposed to, you know, sometimes there are too many meetings, but coming along because they know something interesting is going to happen and and, and it's, it's, I won't quite say exciting, but it's creative creative and interesting. Um, I think we've, we've got so much compliance these days that everyone's terrified of making a mistake. Uh, and that's understandable because the penalties aren't that, that nice to experience. But I do think you need to... You need to know when to lighten it up, obviously, and when to be focused. But it's important to interact with people that they have whole personalities. But you've got to be able to do it in balance. And Janine, there's one anecdote of yours that I learned um, a couple of years ago from you, Janine, which concerned um, also knowing when to speak up, yeah. even when it's not comfortable. Yeah. And you experienced that early on in your career when you saw someone in significant position of power behaving poorly. Yes. And the courage that you had to confront that. You see, Anna, at the time, I didn't think it was courageous, but I look back now and think, oh, my goodness, how did I do that? And I'll just relate, relate the story. I had a CEO who was very bright, um, you know, really grew the organisation, but for whatever reason, he had a, I think, a very bad habit of um, attacking people in public, in the sense verbally attacking them. Um, and as a young, you know, as my sort of first or second job, um, I just, I felt very uncomfortable with that. And I have to say, sometimes you watch that and it's not until it happens to you that you actually realise the impact. And um, we were at a fairly important meeting and I was chatting to the person next to me and the CEO called for quiet and I literally just finished the next two or three words to finish what I was saying and to turn around and, and he rebuked me in front of everybody. Um, now, you know, I was young, you know, maybe I was overly sensitive um, but it, it, it sort of upset me. And looking around the room, I could see other people felt uncomfortable as well. And I think I said to you, Anna, like a lot of women, I uh, when we had a break, I went to the loo and had a bit of a cry <laughs> and um, came back and the meeting continued and he refused to direct any questions to me. And I was sort of one of the lead people in this project. And I thought about it over the weekend and I thought, I'm actually not going to put up with that. And I didn't want to, you know, a big scene or anything. I, I asked to have a meeting with him. And when I walked into his room, I said, um, I just want to let you know I didn't like the way you treated me on Friday at the meeting. And, of course, his immediately response was, well, what do you mean? You know, what, 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 what are you talking about? I said, I actually am not going to discuss it. I just need you to know the behaviour that I will accept and what I won't accept. That behaviour was not acceptable. And I have to, you know, I was shaking. And I said, if we're going to work together in future, you need to know, you know, the, the, the behaviour that we both need to demonstrate. I would never treat anyone like that and I don't expect to be treated like that. And then I just turned around and left the room. And I almost started packing up my desk <laughs> because, you know, a junior person doesn't do that to a CEO. Um, but, you know, to his credit, um, 
nothing was ever said again. And I think he probably had been getting away with it for so long that maybe he'd fallen into a habit that he didn't realise. Um, and I think maybe looking back, he might have had some grudging respect for me to do that. I don't know. I absolutely would think he would have had probably shock to start with. Well, that's right. He you know, immediately went to defend himself and said, you know, what are you talking about? Um, anyway, I was, you know, later on, I must say, many years later, I think, oh, God, I can't believe that I did that. But again, I felt so strongly about how people should behave towards each other. And it should be with respect. And look, we all do things that we wish we hadn't done. But the art of apology now is, is being lost. And the art of, of being honest with yourself and, and accepting your accountability if you have done something that's not appropriate and saying, look, I'm terribly sorry, I didn't mean it that way, it will never happen again. Well, I'm hoping he did learn from that and uh, that the original okay. shock went to a respect. Okay. And um, okay. So when you look back, I can even hear you and, and see you on the video recalling that. It's an emotional story, so it had an impact on you. But when you look back at all the things you've done in your portfolio and you've got still many, many, many to come, what are you most proud of? I think I think there are a couple of things. One is that um, although I worked very busy jobs, full-time professional career jobs, I always thought it was important to connect with the community. And, and so I always served in a range of, you know, not-for-profit or community boards, whatever. And I think the benefit was both ways. One, I got to meet a whole range of people I would never have met had I not done that. Secondly, life is about learning to deal with different situations, different people, different circumstances. And the more practice you get at that, the better you become. I learned about the passion and the extraordinary things that other people do in the not-for-profit and charity sector. And that, I think, helped me in the corporate world and things that I was doing. Um, and so, look, there, there are a number of things that, um, that I helped to bring, in, bring to life, which, are, which, which I'm very proud of. And I think I mentioned a couple of them, you know, the, sort of the Buy Melbourne Network, the um, Future Focus Group about, you know, civic duty, about the Enterprise for Veterans Program. Um, so all those sort of things um, I'm really proud that I was involved in, and, and they're still going. I think that's more my my pleasure to see something you start and you put so much of yourself into has been picked up by other people. They've also put a lot of themselves into it, and so the organisations continue. So I'm very I'm very proud of of some of those things. This next question might sound a little bit odd, and I'm going to ask it being assumptive. Okay, I don't know. I don't have any research on this. I've got no background information. But the question is, when were you last asked to join a political party? <laughs> Um, I, I have been a number of times. Yes, I can imagine. No interest to go into politics? Um, look, I think it's important we have good people who do put their hands up, but, it, but now it's not going to be me. I think there are lots of young people who have got passion, um, who have got commitment and intelligence um, that will do a good job. I think, I think the good thing about ageing to a certain extent too, is not to say you put limits on yourself, but know when to step aside and let, let others take over. I'm challenging you on that. You would be an absolute powerhouse. And we've just mentioned, yeah, we've got another 50, 70 plus years left. There's heaps of time to do politics. Is it, is it something you just are not interested in? No, no. Actually, when I came, I went, uh, I did my degree and then w worked for a few years to save money to go overseas. And I went overseas and wandered around the world for a couple of years and, and decided that I really wanted to get involved in politics. So I, I was fortunate to get a job as a, you know, as a, a young person in a minister's office at the time. But I must say, I, I love, I love business. You know, I love the fact, and particularly small business, that people really get involved and, 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 and they create things. I mean, there's so much in this world that is not about creation. It's about moving money from place to place. Although, you know, you really don't want somebody to get creative when they're moving money. But, <laughs> move, you know what I mean? It's, it's, but, but I love people who create things, who add value. Um, and so I, I sort of felt after working in a minister's office for a couple of years 
not quite sure about this, so I think I'll go back into business, which I did. So, Janine, if it's not politics, and I'm actually pleased that it's not politics because you're contributing across a much broader plethora in the society, what is next um, for you, apart from continuing to being a wonderful leader and a role model for uh, younger and aspiring um, women and men? And men? I, I'm, come on, yes. jumping on this I one. Said, I... I said and men. <laughs> Well, look, I've, I've, I don't have highfalutin, you know, dreams and goals, but I've got a couple of things. One is to be able to have a 60-minute, no, not 60-second, six, one-minute cold shower. If you, if you go 60-minute cold minutes, shower. Be, that, that would be swimming the English <laughs> Channel, wouldn't it, Andrew? Don't do that. Trust me. It's crazy. So, so you know, uh, to, to have a 60-second cold shower would be one. The other one is to actually learn the guitar properly, you know, to be able to sit down and and really do those chord changes without waiting and trying to work out where my fingers are meant to go. So um, I want to be able to be a competent guitar player at some stage. I'd love to get back into fly fishing, which I haven't done for a while, which I thoroughly enjoy. So when I get more time to go up to just out to Towong, just in case people want to know where that is, it's just outside Koryong in northeastern Victoria little hamlet called Tawong. Uh, I'd like to spend more more time up there. Um, I'd really like to go gold prospecting. I don't know whether you watch the Australian Gold Prospectors show and they, you know, get their wand out and they dig up nuggets and things. I think that'd be incredibly exciting, um, particularly when gold prices are what they are today. Um, look, it, I, don't, I don't have a great thing on my bucket list. I, the only actually, I tell a lie. I want to travel more around Australia. There's so many places I haven't been to. You know, when you when you travel on business, you know, you fly into a capital city, you do your business, and you kind of leave. Um, so I, I would want to become maybe not a grey nomad, although one could say I'm looking like that now after being in lockdown for the length of time I have not getting to a hairdresser. Um, but maybe I'd like to be a blonde nomad. Uh, and see a lot more of Australia. But the other thing is, too, I, I thoroughly enjoy my role as, as chair at Phoenix Australia. You know, it is the Australian Centre of Excellence. Um, they do amazing evidence-based best practice work around trauma, develop treatments and interventions that can change people's lives. I mean, how exciting is that? Um, housing first we have already a very large waiting list for social and affordable housing. And I think that that pandemic is going to draw, unfortunately, a lot more people who won't be able to pay their rent, who will lose their houses, who have their houses as equity for their businesses that will go under. So there'll be a lot more people who would never have considered that they would be falling into that category who will be. So I think the thing that keeps me excited in a way is the challenge of both affordable and social housing and the challenge of mental health, two very big issues, um, and that myself and my colleagues and the organisations I'm involved with are going to be addressing those issues with with vigour and with hopefully great outcomes. So to feel that you have made a positive impact on people's lives, that's my drug of choice. That's a very, very good choice too. A very good choice. Hey, and, and talking about choice, just the neuroplasticity. I've got to ask this as a, as a curious scientist. So we do a lot of work on our body, like the physical activity, the nutrition, you know, the nature, and everything. Was it a conscious choice to pick up the guitar? And do you do you do other things for brain alertness as well, or is it just is it natural? Well, my husband does crosswords and does them incredibly well. But occasionally he'll ask me for a clue, you know, what, what do you think this is? And I'm, you know, I'm not very good. The other day I actually got the right word. I was so excited that finally I had actually helped him finish a crossword. Um, so that was a bit of a buzz. So maybe I said to him at the time, maybe I should start doing some crosswords, you know. But a lot of my, my if you like, um, ways to relax a, a sort of physical way. So, you know, whether it be fly fishing or walking or um, exercising, taking cold showers. Um, 
so, uh, but the guitar certainly is challenging my my brain because I'm not only teaching myself in terms of chords so I can at least strum along and do a song, but I'm actually teaching myself music. So I'm doing uh, scales at the moment. And that really challenges me because I get, you know, three or four right and I remember, then I'm, I'm looking, trying to read the music and I get an absolute mental block. So when you think of uh, Janine Kirk and the Maya Music Bowl... <laughs> <laughs> Play, what, what song are you playing? What's, what's the opening song? Well, Christmas carols say, and you're out there? No, no. I have to say my, my choices of songs I've realised are quite associated with the pandemic at the moment because I love the pretenders, I'll stand by you. <laughs> and so I've, I've just learned how to play that and I love that song. But I, th- I thought to myself, well, you know, we're all in supposedly uh, this together. Um, and I'm playing here, there and everywhere from the Beatles, which we can't do when you're in a pandemic. You're just here. You're not there and everywhere. Um, so, uh, yeah, so it's, it's just great fun, um, I think, playing. But also it's actually quite serious because if you do want to improve, I read somewhere, um, Andrew, and you may have a view on this, it's better to play a little bit every day than it is to, you know, miss a few days and then play for two hours or something. I think it's right because my memory span um, is about the same as a a goldfish at the moment Mm -hmm. and I I can only put it down to having coronavirus brain Mm -hmm. um, because I'll learn some some of the, you know, to read some of the notes one day and if I miss one day and do it, you know, two days later, I have to go back and, and do it again. So uh, I think it's proving the point that, like everything in life, you know, do a little bit every day, and it's amazing as the months go by, uh, you'll suddenly wake. My husband keeps telling me with my music skills, one day you'll suddenly wake up and it will just come to you. Well, I've been, I've stopped and started the guitar too many times, but the inspiration today, I'm going to pick it up <laughs> and I'm going to have a bit of a blast. And and I, I like I've thoroughly enjoyed today and I can see from Anna's face that Anna has as well. Uh, as we start to get towards the pointy end, is there a question that you would uh, that you would like Anna and I to have asked you? Is there a question that we've missed? Or is there a question or a challenge you've got for Anna or I? Well, may I pay Anna a compliment because I think her commitment to the you know, small to SME sector is really outstanding. So when I was approached about this, I thought, what a terrific thing to do while we're all in lockdown. We we probably have some of the time to to watch on these podcasts. Um, so I think it, and we need our spirits lifted. You know, it's interesting when you're around people who you don't want to be around people who drag you down. You want to be around people who actually lift your spirits. And I think. Hopefully, what Anna is doing is going to give uh, those who listen to this podcast, not mine, but but others as well, to get a sense that we can get through this. And it's interesting, I, I was asked by Victor Purton again to, to write a little thing about what I thought good leaders did. And I said that without faith, we are nothing. Without hope, there is nothing. And without love, we are nothing. And that optimistic leaders create the condition where faith, hope and love can thrive. That's a bit esoteric. And I don't mean faith necessarily in religious faith, although you can take it that way. You know, it's faith that we can get through this. It's a belief that we can get through this. And so I think for me, um, the fact that Anna is doing this to lift people's spirits and to give them some good, sensible advice, um, because without that, it's just words, um, I think is, is a, a great initiative. Thank you, Janine. It's, uh, it's an absolute pleasure to have the support of you and other Australian business leaders as we look at any way possible to sustain and grow the small business community in Australia as they are the absolute lifeblood of uh, our communities so it's a it's both a privilege but it's also a challenge um, at the moment that we all need to step up to yes and I think it's possibly it's interesting looking at people who are getting a salary at the moment who have no idea what it's like to not have money coming in 
to not be able to pay the mortgage, to not be able to put food on the table. And so, as I said, although we're all in the same storm, we're not in the same boat. And I think we need to have an enormous amount of empathy and provide practical support and help for those who are in that position because therefore the grace of God go you or I. You know, this they didn't choose to be in this position. They've had this position imposed upon them. And so I think that, you know, again, we need to do what we can to create and support them so that they come out of this, in a sense, in a better position than, you know, we went into it. Thank you, Janine. For all those that possibly can. Anna, um, I'll reiterate that. Thank you very much for joining me, not just today, but on all these podcasts. And Janine, I'm going to finish with a quote. So Stephen Waugh, former captain of the Australian cricket team, had a quote, and that quote was, attitudes are contagious. Is yours worth catching? After spending some time with you today, absolutely. You can tell the people you work with in Optimism that you are living on brand. The messages you've given us today, just on leadership, on humility, on brain science, on trying different things, picking up the guitar, having cold showers, of being courageous. But it comes with a massive, massive warmth and a big heart to give back to other people around you in the community. So can I just say on behalf of Anna and I, today's been an absolute joy. It's been a pleasure. Thank you very much, Anya, and thank you very much, Anna. It's, it's been lovely to talk to you. Really appreciate the opportunity and hope you have a fantastic week. Thank you. Hey, it's Andrew again, and we hope you enjoyed that interview. Just a quick note to remember to please go to nab.com.au slash businessfit. We hope you really liked this episode and received lots of value, and we would love it if you can go to iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your podcast and click on the subscribe button. We'd also really appreciate it if you share it with friends or colleagues you think might also benefit from these messages. And we'd really appreciate if you can rate and review it. We love seeing your messages and love seeing your ratings. Okay, that's it for this time. We look forward to connecting with you again on the next episode of NAB Business Fit. 